Hello, everybody, and welcome to Fast Charge, the weekly smartphone podcast from the team at TechAdvisor. I am, as ever, your host, Dominic Preston, and I am joined this week by Lewis Painter and our editor, Jim Martin. Hello. <laughs> it's a bit strange to be back. I've had uh, a week off last week, so I was on a holiday, which was nice. And then um, I feel like I've missed so many shows over the summer, and I'm just sort of dropping in once every two or three weeks to do an episode here or there. Uh, and next week is already funny because we're figuring out if we can do a live show or not, and we think probably we can't. Um, but it's nice to be back doing a live episode because I, I don't feel like I've done very many of them over the past few months. The thrill of a live uh, show. <laughs> I know. All, all the nerves. Um, right, we have we have a busy set of stuff to talk about today, though. So first up, we are going to be reviewing the Motorola Edge 30 Ultra, or at least I am because I've been the one using it. Uh, we spoke about this phone a couple of weeks ago when it first launched, and at the time we were sort of tentatively enthusiastic about the uh, the Ultra along with the Fusion and the Neo that launched alongside it. And I really wanted to revisit it because I took the Edge 30 Ultra with me on holiday to the States for 10 days to test it out. And it has really impressed me a lot more than I thought it would, even going in with sort of positive impressions for the launch. So I wanted to talk about it because I think it's the kind of thing Motorola don't always get a lot of hype for their flagship phones. So I wanted to spend a bit of time talking about why I like this one so much and why I think it might go under the radar as one of the better flagships of this year. To that, we're going to talk about the Huawei Mate 50 Pro. Uh, that's for two reasons. One, I realized actually when it launched, it somehow slipped past us. And so we haven't spoken about the <laughs> Mate 50 series on the show yet. But also this week, the Pro model was given its official European launch, which is the perfect excuse to revisit it. So we're going to be talking through a bit of what that Pro model offers. Obviously, as a Huawei device, there are some big downsides to it, but there is some very cool hardware here, especially in the camera department, so we want to run through that. Then, finally, we're going to turn to mobile gaming, because this week has seen some big, kind of interesting developments in our space. Uh, the long-rumoured, repeatedly leaked Logitech cloud gaming handset has officially launched, and not to be outdone, Razer have then taken the chance to tease the fact that they're also launching their own cloud gaming handset. Um, based on the developer kit we saw them release last year in partnership with Qualcomm, though it looks like there are some changes there. So we're going to talk through what we know about these two handsets, how they differ, because actually on paper they do look likely to be quite different, um, and obviously how they compare to things like the Switch and the Steam Deck and other ways to cloud game, and what this means, particularly also what it means for the, the actual phone industry, you know, where do gaming phones sit in relation to these devices that kill the gaming phone industry? Do they sit alongside each other? And, or even is it the other way? Does the existence of gaming phones kill the need to buy one of these things? All that and more. Right, first up, let's chat about some news that's happened this week. Uh, first up, I'm actually going to pass straight over uh, to Lewis and Jim for this one, because last night Amazon held a launch event um, where they launched an absolute load of stuff, none of which we're going to talk about in detail today because none of it's really phone-related. Um, the big highlight, I think, for me at a glance was the Kindle screen which is their first e-ink kind of Kindle tablet thing that has stylus support, so you can use it for more note-taking and stuff like that. Um, the two of you, 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 you were there to watch stream last night. Was there anything else exciting that Amazon sort of... Any big big developments in their smart tech space? Uh, do you want to go first, Lewis? Uh, yeah, I'll talk about my my little highlight because it's, it's not even one of the big announcements, really. It's kind of one they passed over fairly quickly, but I think it's it's quite a big deal. And that is the fact that Fire TV has come into the Echo Show 15. Um, because when I reviewed it last year, I mean, you know, the, the hardware is great, like, and it looks nice and it's lovely to have in your in your house, but it's fairly limited in what you can do with it um, compared to, yeah, like a Fire TV or something like that. So... Amazon's looking to rectify that. They're bringing the Fire TV experience to the Echo Show 15 so you can watch all your TV shows and all that lovely stuff. Uh, the only caveat is, is they won't say when. There's there's no ETA for the update <laughs> just yet. So okay. got to look out for that one. <laughs> that I mean, just to, to go off the back of that, I think that is a really good call because uh, offline, uh, Lewis and I were talking about how it, uh, it, it's, a, it's a reason to buy it now because there, there wasn't a great deal you could do with it before. It was it was a nice concept. Yeah. You know, put Alexa on your wall. What I would have done with it, if it was possible, is to use it for smart home control. But the trouble with that is, unless you're going to run some sort of, you know, uh, third-party software on it like home assistant amazon's own smart home control is not really it's not really detailed or good enough 
So you might as well just use Alexa hands-free to control your smart home stuff. So that kind of made that reason, you know, nullified that reason as well. So for anyone who wanted to have it in their kitchen, because obviously they were they were sort of suggesting that it would be a great way of having recipes on the wall in your kitchen or something, which is yeah, that's a bit stretching, a bit expensive, stretching, you know, isn't it? But now, expensive it can, recipe book you can find. Yeah, <laughs> it, it could basically become your little mini TV in the kitchen. So that's which makes a lot more sense. That's yeah. a, that's a lot. Yeah, that that makes the the high price worth paying. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, let me talk very briefly about the Echo Dot. Um, five. So they didn't launch, They didn't announce the new Echo Five. They say that the Echo Four is still perfectly good. Uh, they did update the Echo Dot, the the cheapest uh, smart speaker, and uh, they've essentially they've added the the new AZ two processor from the Echo Show Fifteen. They've added a temperature sensor, and they've also added an accelerometer so that you can have gesture control. So you can tap the top of it to start and stop playing music and various things like that. Uh, however, the feature that most people may not realise is that they're also making the Echo Dot Five, the Echo Dot Four, and the Echo Four into Eero range extenders. So any of those devices that you either own or are going to buy will become mesh Wi-Fi range extenders. Uh, it's not quite the same thing as buying uh, an Eero, another Eero unit, but you get a thousand extra square feet of coverage and. Uh, about 100 megabits per second throughput. So it's kind of like a little free way of boosting your home Wi-Fi, which is kind of a good thing because it'll improve your, you know, your phone signal in different places wherever you've got those echoes, really. And it's obviously an easy hook for anyone who's toying with jumping to mesh and, you know, not sure where to go is if you've already got an echo or two in the house, suddenly there's this easy hook. Of, well, I've got to go with Eero now. Yeah. So I've essentially already got half the kit in my house. Exactly. Um, yeah. Right. Cool. So they did announce more. So if you want to check out the rest of what Amazon announced, do go to tacovisor.com where you'll find we've written up pretty much everything they announced uh, yesterday. And there was a lot of it. Uh, on to phone bits. So one of the big stories we've seen this week is the first proper renders leaking of the Galaxy S23 line next year's Samsung flagships. Uh, the S23 Ultra doesn't look very exciting compared to the S22 Ultra, at least from a design perspective, not much has changed. What's more interesting is the base S23 and S23 Plus, because they suddenly look a lot like the S23 Ultra. Uh, that sort of contour cut camera seems to have died off, and instead they've basically taken that design language they introduced in last year's Ultra, and they're bringing it across the whole range. Um, I, I don't like you guys. I've I've mixed feelings because on the one hand, I love that they've used the language because that was my big complaint last year was I liked both designs, but I didn't understand why we had two different designs in one phone range. On the other hand, I do have to admit, I do prefer that contour cut. Yeah. And I think it's a bit more distinctive. And everyone would immediately know it was a Samsung phone. And what they've got now, I think, is sleek and minimalist. But it's a little more generic, maybe. I think the thing that struck me most when I first when I first saw the the renders is that to me it looks like an iPhone SE camera just duplicated multiple times in a list. Like <laughs> yeah. that top that top line there is literally the iPhone SE camera and it's got the exact same LED next to it. So now they've they've gone like you say gone from this distinctive design to something that's very generic and that you could even mistake for an iPhone at a glance. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit of a strange move, though I don't I don't totally hate it. Um, obviously, this is just first renders, so it might be true. We've seen this before where renders are kind of a half-truth. They kind of get a little bit of what a company's doing, but miss key details. So it may look a bit different when we get to the real products, probably next February. Uh, On to things that have launched. We've had two big launches in China this week. That one comes from Vivo. They launched the Vivo X Fold Plus. As the name might suggest, this is an updated version of the X Fold that we saw, I think, earlier this year. Not a huge overhaul. There's been a processor bump up to the 8 Plus Gen 1. They've compared that with a bigger battery. So between that and the processor, you're probably actually getting a significantly improved battery life. I think Vivo was saying two hours extra usage time. Uh, and they've also improved charging speeds. So this isn't a reason for someone with the first gen to upgrade, but it's a little sort of a bump to keep that fold relevant and uh, persuade a few more people to jump along. We haven't tried the X Fold out, so I'm not sure how it stacks up compared to some of the other foldables. But on paper, I do really like the look of it. So I'm interested in this. A um, little more different, Xiaomi launched the Civi 2. Uh, the first Civi was China only. And so I'm guessing this one will stay that way. Um, the hook with the Civi 2 
is that it's selfie-focused, um, which I think was also true of the first Civi. It's kind of a mid-ranger, selfie-focused. It's got a pair of 32-megapixel selfie cameras, one regular, one wide-angle. But it also has front-facing LED flash to help with selfie shots in lower light. Um, all of this is kind of interesting. I feel a little bad for them because they're absolutely, definitely going to get accused of copying Apple because they have taken these two selfie cameras and putting them in a central punch hole sort of pill shape design. <laughs> There's no way they knew Apple were doing this. <laughs> Apple launched theirs <laughs> like two weeks ago. It takes more than two weeks to build this phone. I don't believe Xiaomi were actually copying Apple, but of course it looks to all the world like they are. Uh, There's worth saying there's none of the dynamic island tech here. You know, it's not that software side of it anyway. But yes, from looking at these phones from the front, you'll probably immediately go, oh, it looks a bit like the new iPhones. Uh, But there you go. And then finally, speaking of Apple, last bit of news for this week. Uh, The latest word from various analysts is that if you're expecting another big flashy Apple event in October, you should probably lower your expectations. Uh, the analyst Mark Gurman basically says the event isn't on. That doesn't mean the products aren't coming. They still think we could be seeing some new stuff, maybe a new Mac Mini, maybe MacBook Pro, maybe iPad Pro. The difference is we're maybe not getting a big flashy event to launch it all. Whichever of those Apple does decide to push out, they're probably just going to drop them on the website with a press release rather than do a big launch. Cool. All right, let's get to the main part of the show. So let's talk about the Motorola Edge 30 Ultra. So I've been using this phone for the last two weeks, um, and I really, really like it. I went in <laughs> thinking I'd kind of like it, and I thought, yeah, I'll take this as my my phone for my holiday, and it'll be okay. And I, I toyed briefly with, uh, should I take something where, that I know that I really trust the camera as well, just yeah. in case. Um but I thought, you know what, no, I'll, I don't want to carry two phones around with me every day. I'll just take the Edge 30 Ultra. I'm sure it'll be fine. Seems good on paper. I'm really glad I did. I've been very, very happy with this phone. And I, I, I'm really, yeah, genuinely very surprised because I have a, not a low opinion of Motorola, but I think of <laughs> Motorola phones, especially their high-end phones, as being okay, bit uninteresting, yep. bit bland, not much to get excited about, but they do the job. Yeah. This feels like, to me like a really interesting phone because... Everything it does kind of matches what much more expensive phones are doing. This one comes below $1,000 or pounds or euros while offering specs like the Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1, a big battery, super fast wired charging. It's 125 watts um, and a pretty impressive triple camera setup. So the camera setup is the space that is simultaneously the most exciting bit of the phone and arguably its weak point. Oh. The main camera is 200 megapixel. It's the first 200 megapixel we've seen in a phone. That's very exciting. Big headlines, huge numbers, etc., etc. <laughs> and it is good. I don't want to knock it. Um, I've been pretty impressed by it. I went. In, this was the bit I went in the most skeptical about, maybe because I think you know high resolution uh, yeah. doesn't mean that much necessarily. No. Yeah. Um, what I found is that photos have been really, really solid, um, especially in sort of good light. It's excellent. Uh, in good lighting, especially if you want to then enable the the full kind of ultra resolution, take a shot in 200 megapixels, you can do that and you will get exceptional detail. Um, normally, it will just bend down to, to much lower resolution when you take shots, and that's fine too. Um, but it's also holding its own in low light. I've been really happy with the night mode shots that I've taken, and that was the area where I thought I didn't trust this to hold up because that's not always where high resolution cameras or at their best, it's actually yeah. the sensor size that matters there, not the megapixel count. But I've been really happy with the night mode shots. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say this is the best around. I don't think it's as good as what Vivo are doing. I'd even say it's probably not up there with what you know the current iPhones are doing and things like that. But for the price, I think it's very impressive. Um, you also then get an ultra-wide and a simple, I think it's a two-times telephoto Um these are these are maybe the the weak point feels too far, but they're fine. Yeah. Good, they're not going to blow you away. So I think that's where you'd see that difference if you want to spend another few hundred and go to the next tier. It's feeling like those extra cameras are going to match the quality of the main camera, whereas here they don't. Here they're good, while the main camera is great, and that feels like like the gap. Mm-hmm. So Motorola is sort of um, saving cost on some of the areas to keep that price a little bit lower so that there's a reason to buy it 
compared to some of the more expensive models that you might otherwise go for. Um, exactly. And they're keeping that 200 megapixel main camera as, as the real highlight. Um, I've, I've not seen any of the photos you've taken, but um, I'm keen to see them and to, for you to sort of describe a bit more about, you know, what... So the, any photographer will know, as you sort of alluded to, you can increase megapixel count as much as you like, but if you're not increasing the sensor size, then each of those pixels is becoming physically smaller um, because yep. you have to pack them into the same space, uh, So, which is why you were worried about the night mode. But as far as I understand it, so that does, uh, by default, 16 times pixel binning. So what you're, exactly. what you're actually getting, so what you actually get out of it is roughly a 12 and a half megapixel photo. Yeah, twelve point six is what it yeah. outputs by default. Um, which, yeah, the, the the this is obviously the same thing we've seen elsewhere, and it's just the scale of it is that one more step up. Yeah, sixteen pixels rather than nine, which was the previous most we'd seen binned at once in those hundred and eight meg sensors. Um, you sort of worry at that point you're going to get issues around sharpness and things like that. Um, I've been really happy though; I haven't had the sense that my images have been kind of over sharpened or looking artificial in that way. Um, and again, at night mode, that's the area where you don't necessarily trust it's going to work because it depends how well it handles the binning. Because as you say, Jim, each pixel is very small. So it depends how accurately it's binning those 16 together to produce low light shots. And again, I would say that's where it falls short of the best around. And I think particularly it's got that what's a common weakness in even the good night mode phones, which is that it struggles to correctly expose light sources in low light scenes. So it packs in a lot of detail, but you may still find every now and then, and this is varied by shots. I've had some that have come out really nicely, others a bit less so, but some shots will still come out where, where there is a punchy light, it just has that bit of an aura around it and that glow and it obstructs stuff around it. So I've got, you know, I took a couple of like cityscape shots at night where you could just feel some of the bigger lights on skyscrapers were just glowing a little too brightly and taking away from the rest of the scene. Um, I think also what would really elevate this is a bit better stabilization. There is OIS on the main lens, but again, when we look at the really the best night mode cameras, it's the ones that are packing in some sort of gimbal stabilization as well. And I think especially where you're having this extra level of, you know, ultra pixel binning going on, I think that might be the next step to, to step this up a notch. And of course, as but, we know, it's the software, the image processing that is as important in many cases as to whether you like the final image uh, as the actual camera and lens itself, the, the sensor and lens. So uh, one other question I had, again, because I haven't seen any of the uh, stuff from it, mm. is does, it, does, does the 200 megapixel help with video at all? Video is the one bit I haven't done too much recording of. It's the bit that I don't tend to shoot much video by myself naturally. So when I actually sit down to write a review, I then have to go, oh, I've got to go film some video. <laughs> I've got to shoot some out. video. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's the, it's, along with phone calls, it's one of the, the features that often gets missed out of a lot of reviews. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I wouldn't want to speak too much on video because I'm definitely not an expert on, on the way the video recording comes out. Um, so and, and as I said, I haven't really tested it too much. So that's the, the last thing I will be diving into. I mean, it will shoot at 8K and it does 8K at 30, which I don't know if that's the the only phone that does that, but it's certainly the top. We had a lot of 8K at 24. Yeah. And it's been, I don't know of many that do 8K at 30. Um, it's still an argument as to if you actually need 8K at 30 FPS video yes, recording. and I'm sure the best quality you're going to get <laughs> is not from sw switching the 8K mode. Yeah, no, no, I'm sure that having a 4K 60 or even something else might actually turn out to be preferable. Yes, I suspect that's what I'd come in the same way that, you know, you can shoot with that high resolution mode on the main camera and take the 200 meg image. And that packs in a lot of detail, but it does suffer a little bit in some other areas. And actually, generally, the 12 megapixel shots look better for the most part. And so that is the way you want to go. You know, again, that's why resolution is not the only thing that matters. That's right. Don't go by the specs. Go by the yep. actual quality. Yeah. But, I mean, the things that made me love this phone really sit outside of the camera, to be honest. Um, I think the big one for me is battery life, yes. where this has really, really impressed me. Uh, it's only got a 4,500 milliamp hour battery, which is fine, but nothing 
serious. It does have that Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1, which, as we've seen in other phones, has a lot of power efficiency benefits. Um, I have had exceptional battery life. <laughs> the best I've had on any phone in a long time. Uh, I had it going around with me while I was on holiday in New York, so that meant lots of phone use, lots of photography in particular, which is always kind of a drain, um, and jumping on Wi-Fi a lot. And I found the phone still had 70 to 80% battery when I went to bed, which is ludicrous. Now, the big caveat there is I had my data turned off because I didn't have roaming. So that is a big part of battery drain. And so I'm not saying that's what you would get normally. What I found now that I'm back home over the last three days or so, and I've been using it in the UK with my data back on, is I still have about 60% when I go to bed. That's still really good. It's still great. Yeah. So I, I haven't yet done the full how long will this go before it dies test, uh, but I feel pretty confident saying it should make it well into day two and maybe up until you know the end of the day, day two, so that you could really just charge this every other day. Um, it's definitely in that kind of space. It helps that it's got 125 watt fast charging and they do give you that charger with the phone and that is incredibly fast. Um, Motorola 8 gives you a full charge in less than 20 minutes. Uh, again, I haven't done my sort of formal test of that, but every time I have plugged it in, I have been very surprised by how quickly it goes. <laughs> so I do feel like Motorola num numbers are pretty accurate there. It's interesting because uh, usually there's a choice between fast charging and rubbish battery life and good battery life yes. and slow charging, but it seems like they've struck a good balance here. We're using and again you, on paper you'd think they had made that choice because 4500 isn't that yeah. big a battery you'd look no. at that and say well it's they've gone average, for isn't it? charging but you know they've gone for a not small battery but as jim just said an average battery um but this phone just must be so well optimized that it's it's really nailing that anyway um the other caveat i guess is i've been using it mostly with refresh rate set to auto um so that it's switching a bit this does go up to 144 hertz I'm sure if you wanted to, and you do have the option to lock it at 144, if you wanted to do that, I'm sure that would involve some battery hit. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know that you'd get much benefit from locking at 144, but if you want to, you can. Um, I still feel like 144 is a step too far. There's absolutely no perceptible difference between 120 and 144, and it will only ever matter in gaming and there aren't many games that will drive no, that refresh yeah. rate anywhere, <laughs> there aren't. which no, i know we've said on the show before but it's still true so it's a fun spec for the spec sheet but i wouldn't buy this phone just because 144 hertz um the other thing to talk about i guess is software because if the, the one of the nice things with motorola is they run it's not stock android but it's a, as stocky as you get it's very basically. close yeah it's very close. Certainly aesthetically, it's very close to stock. And then the changes they do have are ones that I find are really welcome. Yeah. So when you're on like the lock screen, you can just hold over an icon and the message pops up or whatever that notification is. And that gives you some little quick controls. You can then drag from there to mark as read or open it or send a reply, things like that. Um, that's not new to this phone, but it's the first time I've used a Motorola in a little while and the first time I've encountered that. And I love it. I really like it. And there's a few other little touches like that throughout um, that I just found really changed the way I use the phone. Um, I really use the, I love really the, um, the motor actions that you get. That's like one of my yep. favorite things about Motorola That's phones. always been one of their highlights, really, yeah. for me. Yep. It's such and a They've done them for years, but yeah. they're still great. Yeah. All these little gestures and other ways of accessing Shot your phone. to turn the, the I, camera on yeah, and it, twist yeah. it to turn the flashlight on. I'm like, yes, I'm here for all of that. Yes, please. <laughs> exactly. Once you get the habits down, they're absolutely fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Are they doing, so, uh, sorry, for, for software, Android updates, uh, are they sort of doing three or four years now as well? Uh, that is the one thing I'm not sure I've seen them actually promise a set number. So that's one of the other things I'm going to be double checking before I finalize my review, uh, reaching out to them to confirm a number because they haven't been pushing a number, which is always a worrying sign. And I don't know that Motorola has a standing policy on their software updates things. So that would definitely be a big knock against it for me if they're not committing to anything. Um, they're certainly not doing a Samsung-esque, you know, four, four years of, of Android versions, five years security. It's not that comprehensive. Um, I think they're getting better at that. So I hope you're going to get at least a couple of years. But to my knowledge, there's no official line on that, um, which is the one, the one downside. But that is really, for me, so far at least, again, I'm kind of need to do these little fine little details before I, I finalize my written review. Um, there's real potential knocks against this for me. That the, the camera is 
is a good camera, but it's not the best camera around. So if you want to spend $400 more on your phone, you'll get a better camera. But that's kind of all that 400 is going to get you. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I get is, is a jump in waterproofing. This is, I think it's IP52 or IP54, uh, not IP68. So it has water resistance and dust resistance, but not that same top level that you'd find in other phones at the price. Um, it does have wireless charging. I was literally though, about to say, so I'm you surprised you haven't mentioned the yeah. wireless charging. You're a huge fan of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's 50 watts, uh, isn't it? Yeah. I yeah I think so though again that's with uh, as always with that wireless charging stuff that's only if you buy their charger which I don't have no. so um, yes. yeah they don't yeah, ship their custom wireless that charger does not with come with yeah. it so I always feel that like super fast wireless charging is a bit of a uh, who actually goes and buys those I don't know no I agree yeah when you can charge it in nineteen minutes with the wire that comes in the box yeah exactly well this is it yeah, yeah. it loses the appeal a bit. And those those custom wireless chargers are always much bulkier than the compact little Qi charging pads you might <laughs> pick up at fans IKEA to or keep Amazon them cool or somewhere. And, you know, just that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. It's a very different proposition. Um, yeah, I mean, I I really like this phone. The other thing, I guess, design wise, it's just it's very it's a very simple looking phone in terms of the the aesthetic. I think for some people they might say they find it kind of bland, which I would understand. I could see that being a knock against it depending on your taste. It's not an exciting looking phone. Does it come I, in different colours? Um, for the UK, I'm not actually sure. I think they did announce some other colours, but all the promo energy they put out is black, and the one they sent me is black, and every other version of the phone I've seen is black. I really like that you never speckled know the kind of finish in. on the rear, though. I do think it's nice, the way it yeah. kind of catches in the in the sun. It looks textured, There's but it a, isn't, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. It's got the slight texture in that it's a bit satiny feeling. I guess. Yeah. Um, What's it made from? Is it a glass back? It is a glass rear, I think, yeah. Um, but they do ship with a cheap little plastic TPU transparent case, which you can use. I'm sure most people would buy another case for it anyway. Um, but it's it's a very slim phone, which I really like. Um, again, that's part of the perk of that smaller battery, and it seems to have the longevity that that trade-off has made sense for them. You know, I'm very glad. I'd rather it's enough battery life. I don't feel the need to say, oh, I wish the phone was, you know, had a bigger battery because that would make it thicker. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I, I had the case on it for a couple of days and then got sad because it feel, it's got such good hand feel without the case yeah. that I, I quickly took the case off and thought, no, I'm kind of missing the best bit of this phone is that it's, uh, you know, got a great hand feel and it's very slender and very slim and, and very comfortable to use. But you're playing with fire there. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Yeah, I was very nervous because I hadn't done my photography for the review until Ooh. after my trip. So I spent the whole holiday um, very nervously yeah, taking it out of my pocket. That's a bold couldn't, decision. couldn't quite bring myself to put the case on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, that's that about sums it up, I think. It's, it's to me, a great phone. I, I think it's kind of going to be in that space where I give it a 9 out of 10 or something like that. It has a couple very minor flaws very reasonable ones given the price it's at um i'm not sure around that 800 900 line i don't know what else you could buy that i'd really recommend over this in the android space certainly if you're in the us where your options are obviously more limited uh this feels almost like a no-brainer in the us market oh, yeah and maybe buying it on contract will just make it a little bit cheaper as well compared to the samsung or oppo equivalent yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, great phone from my perspective. I'll be writing up my full review. That will be on the site sometime early next week. So go to check that out if you want my final thoughts, if you want to see all my camera samples and those last little details that I haven't been 100% on today. Uh, but, yeah, I think if you've written off Motorola before, if you think Motorola phones are fine, not very exciting, bit boring, underpowered compared to the competition or any, any of the above, I would give this one another look because I think it's a bit more interesting than we're used to seeing from them. Yeah, genuinely exciting moves. Yeah. And it just makes me even more excited for the Razer, which oh. still, it's got to be coming. There was a leak the other day of, uh, it was either EvLeaks or OnLeaks shared uh, renders, official looking renders of it with English text oh, in yes. the screenshots. That's what I like to hear. Which is that first clue that there is going to be a global release. It's coming. They haven't mentioned Come it, on. but it's got to be coming. So uh, yeah, this is this is maybe even more interested in in the razor and uh wondering if that will actually win me over from the z flip 4 Ooh. which i didn't think could happen no the this edge 30 ultra has got me sort of wondering could i could i be won over 
Okay, let's turn to our second main topic of today, the Huawei Mate 50 Pro. So the Pro model specifically is coming to Europe. In China, they also launched a regular Mate 50 and then a Mate 50 Pro Porsche design edition or something to that effect. Um, those two are not making the international jump or certainly not the European jump. Uh, it is just the Pro model coming out in Europe, which is pretty par for the course of Huawei over the last couple of years. Obviously, they've had their issues in the market. And generally, the line they've taken is when they're doing these international launches, they'll take one model out of the lineup and usually the higher end one. Um, and they're still positioning themselves for better or worse as a kind of high-end premium brand. And that's what we see here, because the Mate 50 Pro, the, the thing that kind of jumps out at you first when you uh, see the release is the pricing, because this is 1,299 euros for the cheap model and 1,399 for the more premium version, uh, which is in vegan orange leather as opposed to a... Uh, uh, sort of silver or black that you get in the regular version. I hit deep that price. I just yeah. I can't. What? <laughs> I love that. I do. I love the way it looks. That uh, you know, with that camera and that orange uh, sort of leather back. Uh, do you like the camera design? I've got to admit, I'm not really a fan. Yeah, I, I quite like it. Yeah, I don't mind it at all. I don't know. It's um. I don't know, there's something about it I just don't like. I, 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 I'm looking at it now. Let me just get yeah. it up on screen for everyone on the stream so they know what we're talking about here. I think, I think in, in fairness, I clearly have some irrational vendetta against circular camera modules. Yeah. Because I have never seen one I like. <laughs> and I couldn't tell you why. You know, I have no like rational explanation for what it is about round cameras that, that kind of, you know, rubs me up the wrong way. But there is something there because every single time that a company puts out a, a circular camera model, I go, oh, I don't know about that. I think maybe my so, problem is that the circle's too big for the amount of cameras it has in it. It just takes up a little bit too much space on the back. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I'm, I'm not, yeah, I can't quite put my finger on it, but I just, it does look a little bit ugly. <laughs> Sorry, Huawei. Oh, this, is the, this is the thing about design, though, isn't it? You know, one yeah. design is going to appeal to someone and it's not going to appeal to someone else. Um, the cameras, of course, are the most interesting thing yes. about this phone, I think, um, because of the variable aperture. So it's not the first time that we've seen the variable aperture. I think, was it the Samsung Galaxy S9 that had a switchable aperture between two? But this one has a, a variable aperture, a proper, almost like SLR-style aperture that can be... Yeah. I think it goes small as 1.8 and up to f4. I think it's 1.4, isn't it? 1.4. Oh, is it 1.4? Okay, yeah. so 1. That, 4 to 4. that's so, pretty fast. Yeah, so you're absolutely right that we first saw this in the Galaxy S9, um, but a simpler version that had just two apertures to, to move between. Um, and Samsung, I, I, it was very interesting tech at the time, and Samsung just kind of abandoned it. They never went back to that, I don't think. Uh, they certainly haven't sustained it through their line no. into the well, present. it's never made a reappearance, um, has it? No, and, and none of no other competitors had jumped on it either, um, which is obviously, I think it was well reviewed in the S9. It's not like Samsung did it and everyone said, this is rubbish. But um, still, it's taken a few years for, for someone else to decide to give it a crack. And yeah, Huawei's come back with something that is the next level up. So while the Samsung version had two different stages of aperture that it could hit, the, uh, the Mate 50 Pro here on its main lens, and it is the main lens only, to be clear. This isn't across every yeah. lens. The main lens can go through 10 different uh, aperture stages, um, as you said, from f1.4 all the way to f4. Um, that's and that's, not, also that's not, not a very long way. Just, I mean, normally a, a camera would go for two up, you know, maybe f11. <laughs> for or, a smartphone, for a, it's quite a, a long smartphone, way. <laughs> not too bad. Yeah, I mean, because it, it's notable, if only because it, even setting aside the, the the variable aperture, f one point four is massive. Yeah, oh, yeah. f one point four. That is, is the biggest aperture on any smartphone main camera, to my knowledge. Yeah. While Huawei says it is, and I I can't think of any yeah. to dispute that claim. No. Or uh, it certainly equals, see lot... equals whatever the biggest we've seen. I can't remember. No, I I yeah. can't remember any phone that's that has has had it. But I wouldn't like to say it's the only one. No, there's there's a lot of f point f1.8 i would say that's kind of the maybe the default uh, on a main camera even at the high end yeah i think we've seen some 1.6 and 1.7 i can't think of a 1.4 though if if anyone is aware of one then drop it in the comments on on the youtube you're watching us live um but yeah this it's kind of the variable element is obviously what's super interesting because it means it can switch between apertures on the go which 
basically, for those who aren't you know, too in-depth on the camera knowledge, it will allow it to A, adjust better to different lighting conditions, but B, also create different kind of depth of fields yes. and get an actual natural, you know, well, natural, but from the lens bokeh effect rather so than real an artificial... Rather than a real software-generated. Software exactly. Less, you know, software-generated ones look okay, and some are better than others, and they look fine when you post it on instagram or whatever uh but you zoom in and it's never perfect because it's it can't actually know where something exactly is in the image and other things can fool it for example if there are things in the foreground it might might not blur them whereas of course a real f1.4 aperture will blur it because the depth of field is uh, is so narrow only a small amount of the the, the photo is in focus I haven't looked, actually, I should have done before this, to have a look and see what those f1.4 shots look like from the Mate 50 um, I mean, Pro. I, but uh, have I've you seen at, any, Lewis? I'll say I've looked at some um, videos on YouTube of some people that have had a little play of it so far, and it does look really impressive. Like, it's quite a, a, a strong blur at the uh, the 1.4. Um, it should be, yeah, it should be. Uh, but what I, I mean for me, what I liked most is this. Is, I mean, apart from the fact that you can do that, is that you can see the change in the camera in the aperture. If you look at the rear camera, you can see it flipping between the different sizes of, of the aperture, and it's just really, you know, it's really geeky. But it's just one of the coolest things yeah. I think I've seen on a smartphone. <laughs> it's one of those things that even if the results were rubbish, yeah. it's so cool technically that you kind of want to, uh, you kind of want to have it. Yeah. Um, so it's very exciting. I mean, we'll have to play around with it ourselves. We are going to get one into review. We don't have it yet. Um, but on, you know, you would obviously expect great results from this. Huawei's excellent camera pedigree. Oh, yeah. Um, they've obviously lost their Leica partnership. So in a way, we'll, we'll maybe this will be the first phone where we find out how much work Leica was putting in and, and how much was Huawei. Um, from what um, I've seen, that you yeah, you've lost a bunch of the filters that you got with the Leica yeah. branding or the Leica developed ones. And now you've kind of got three to choose from, which is normal, saturated and bright. Um, mm -hmm. but they're the kind of three main presets that you've got now on this camera. But I mean, from the hardware perspective, it looks like they've done a pretty good job without Leica. It all just, yeah, it just depends yep. on, on what it, on what, what, uh, what the performance is like. And it feels like they're holding their own. Um, it's worth talking about the other cameras you get on the back. Yep. Uh, I know if we've shared the image, there looks like there are, well, there are four circles on the back. It is not four functional camera lenses you can use. You've just got three, really. Um, so that main camera that we talked about with the variable aperture, that's a 50 megapixel lens. Um, the other two, you are getting a three and a half times periscope telephoto at 64 megapixels. And then a surprisingly low res for them, 13 megapixel ultra wide. Though again, you know, as we've said, resolution is not everything. So I don't. That's not to knock the ultra wide because I haven't tried it. But it's it's interesting that's the one that's dropped to a much lower, yeah, um, lower resolution than the other two. Considering the price of the thing as well, I'd want a higher res yeah. ultra wide. <laughs> and the the fourth. Uh, I, what, still... what does the fourth circle do then? I'm not actually sure. To be honest, they're not talking up um, in any detail what sort of some extra sensor type or anything like that. So I'm not positive what, what that fourth bit is or what it's driving. Hmm, Which is sometimes what you get with these. Sometimes you can sort of, you look at the back of a phone and you know what every single sensor is. Sometimes a company just launches it and just never really mentions the other like two dots on the back and you're left like... I mean, if, if you look real close at the product images, you can see a tiny, tiny camera in the middle of that fourth um, camera housing, mm -hmm. but I can't imagine what that is for. It... I mean, it could just be a depth sensor that they're yeah. not bothered to mention, you know, that they, they don't think it's interesting enough to hype up a depth sensor anymore or something like that. Uh, time of flight sensor, that kind of thing. But um, if it is something like that, they aren't, yeah, they aren't making a fuss about it. Because, you, you know, a, a the reason that they have those is usually so that they can generate that that bokeh effect <laughs> yeah and of course yes. this doesn't need that um it, it shouldn't need it for focus um so yeah it's hard to know hard to know what that's what what's going on there because it's phase detection yep. focus on the on the main sensor i think uh, i think all three of them have phase detection all, all, all three focus. of them have phase detection yep. so yeah um and then you get ois on the main and the periscope yeah so that's a very high resolution um telephoto so that that's, that's probably going to yep. deliver pretty good results actually and that camera-wise is basically the jump you get. I know the regular model isn't launching it outside of China anyway, as far as we know, but that's the jump between the regular and the pro um, in China camera-wise. They have a different telephoto. It's a, I think it's a 13 meg on the regular model, 
in in China. I can't remember exactly, but they are they are different. Um, so elsewhere, the phone looks pretty impressive. It's big. It's got a six point seven four inch display. Not the biggest around, but still you know pretty sizable. Uh, it's over two hundred grams. Um, and a little bit heavier if you go for that premium orange leather version. Um, that one is also a little more durable, which is maybe the real reason you'd pay that extra hundred euros if the you know despite the orange. So one leather is going to be tougher than um, the, the the rear on the regular model. Yeah. Two, the display has a tougher coating if you buy the the sort of the orange version. Um, and three, it has better depth resistance. I think they're both IP68, but the sort of they don't really have a name for it. But the you know the more expensive orange version uh, goes up to six meters, um, or will survive up to six meters in water. I believe is the difference. Um, I think it's six meters for half an hour, but I'm not sure 100%. Um, so that's the, the sort of the only difference that you're getting. It's a durability thing yeah. if you want to pay the extra 100 euros, which I could see the appeal when you're already paying 1300, being told to pay another 100 <laughs> to keep it safe for a bit longer, I can get. Yeah. Uh, performance should be impressive because it is packing the Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1. That is the latest version. But oh, it has that big caveat, caveat yeah. <laughs> which is it's the 4G version of the Snapdragon <laughs> 8 Plus One that Qualcomm had to make specially for Huawei. Wow. Um, so it is 4G only, so you're going to get excellent performance, but you're not going to get that excellent connectivity that you really would expect at this price. Mm. And more than there's actually worse. the Google there's thing. There's worse to come, though, isn't there? Well, yeah, so <laughs> we all know you're not going to get Google support. What I was going to say was I think more than the lack of the Google support, it's the 5G that's maybe really hurting Huawei, at least in its home market, because in it's although it's kind of disappeared from the global market, it's also lost a lot of market share in China. And that's partly down to the Google things. I think a lot of people in China, although you're not meant to use Google on your phones there, people find ways and they do want the option. But also, you know, in China, even if you're happy without Google on your phone, you want 5G if you're going to drop the equivalent of over a grand on a device. And there's not a lot while we can do about that. Uh, we've seen little things before, sort of a, uh, a phone case with 5G in it that adds 5G to the phone. There were rumors they were going to release that something like that alongside this officially, but they haven't. Um, that was a third party thing, and maybe that will continue. So they're clearly trying to find little workarounds. But um, yeah, this is 4G only, and that is one of the other drawbacks if you're going to drop a load of money on it. And as we mentioned, no Google. So it runs EMUI, I think it's EMUI 13, yeah, so in the yeah. latest version of EMUI. So in the European, um, just to clarify, the European version will run open source Android. It won't run Harmony OS? Yes, that's correct. What they run in Europe is officially an Android-based EMUI. What runs in China is Harmony OS, which is not officially Android-based, but in practice is. Um, <laughs> In practice, I think EMUI and HarmonyOS are functionally the same thing. I've not been able to pull them apart, really, when I've tested comparable recent devices. But um, they do go by different names. Um, I I mean, we spoke on the show before. I was testing the, the latest foldable from them, um, the Mate XS2. Their software has gotten better and better. And, you know, the ways, the workarounds you have for, for apps are better and better. I genuinely found that outside of the google stuff i could get every single app i wanted on the phone and running fine um there are headaches around updates because they have now figured out a way to prompt you to update apps when there's a new version but it doesn't actually really do an update what it does is uninstall the app and reinstall the oh, new version for no. you and it does that by itself you know you have to kind of click a button and say yes i want you to do this and then it runs and then the app reopens and, you, and you're good to go again but it takes a bit longer. It's a little fiddlier. There's more of a risk with certain apps. You're just going to have to log back in again once it's reinstalled and stuff like that. So there's still annoyances there. And on the Google side, there are some unofficial workarounds to get Google apps, but I tried on the XS2 and they didn't work for me at all. What about so the I still apps? Can't get Google so it's on. been a couple of years since I used uh, one of Huawei's non-Google phones. And the biggest problem I had with it was that a lot of apps I tried to install were still reliant, even if you could install the app itself, they were still reliant on Google services to run, and you wouldn't necessarily know which ones those were. It wouldn't. It, yeah. It's not just Google ones, right? So, even though you can get those apps, don't they still run? Don't they still all rely on Google services, or are they finding different versions of those apps which don't rely on Google? 
I think there are still a couple. I do think behind the scenes on some level this is changing a bit because I've had apps that on previous phones I could not get to run at all because they required Google. And then I've tried that same app this year and found it would run. And that's fine. Um, the big thing you will have to work around is if you are the sort of person who uses that sign in with Google functionality yeah. to get into apps, that will not work. So you will need to go and make a proper account with that app. So I had to go and do that for a couple of the apps I use, go and formally create an account with my own login because I was using Google sign in and that just won't work. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure exactly what's going on there, whether Huawei's been working with apps to move away from um, Google services or if it's found workarounds so that when an app needs to do that, it can sort of divert it a little bit. I'm sure, though, there will be exceptions still where you get in oh, and yeah. find that for whatever reason, that app just will not do what it's meant to do because it requires Google services to function. So there's still, yeah, I, the software is better than it has ever been. It keeps getting better. I'm confident it will continue to get better. And every time I speak to Huawei, they are still working on it. They know all the pain points and they are trying to improve them. But there are pain points, and I don't want to pretend that's not the case. And, and when still, you're spending 1,400 euros, I don't think you want pain you, points. You don't, do you? So it's no. kind of, you know, it's an interesting piece of hardware. Realistically, the fact that they're going to sell it in Europe is just so that they still have a presence with phones, because otherwise they would just disappear entirely. They're not really expecting anyone to buy them. Is that is that fair? I that's my suspicion, especially given that they're mostly putting out devices at the high end of the price point and still charging premium prices. They're not going for affordability no. or market share here. If they wanted to, they could try and sell these things for much cheaper, put out budget phones, and kind of say, "Hey, we know there are downsides, but we're cheaper than the competition." Well, that's kind they're of what not they doing did. That when they first kind of broke into Europe, didn't they? They came and they undercut everybody. Yeah. And that's yeah. what made them so popular in the first place because you had that exactly. quality at literally half the price of some of these other ones. Which is basically what Xiaomi is doing yeah. right now still. <laughs> you know, and Xiaomi is at the late the stage of Huawei. that same loop. Um, but yeah, they're not trying that. They're consciously going in with a very high price point. And I think that's because, as you say, Jim, this isn't a market share push. They're not expecting this to be the most popular flagship phone in Europe or anywhere near but they want to show that they have a presence. They want to show that they're still making phones. They want to show that their hardware is still great. I imagine there's an element of optimism, a bit of a, <laughs> if we can get this Google thing sorted, at least we'll have some phones, we'll have stock in Europe ready to go, we'll push the Google update to them, and then suddenly we've got these like pieces of great hardware that now have the great software, and they're all there in Europe ready to be shipped out. Um, you know, I don't even know, I don't think they've ever said if the, the 5G element is a physical lock on 5G or if it's a software oh, lock. So I don't even know if that's the sort of thing they'd be able to remotely re-enable. I, I do not know. So don't take that as me so they can. Um, but yeah, I think there's an element of optimism where they're still hoping there's a way out of this. There's a way around this. You know, we did see a story a few weeks ago that there was a little bit of optimism that the ban might be lifted. Um and I think that's it. They didn't want to fully walk away from the market and then find out they could start selling there and have to work from scratch. <laughs> they're maintaining their infrastructure. They're maintaining their supply lines. They're maintaining that push around ecosystem because obviously they're still pushing out the laptops and the tablets and the wearables, which don't have the same issues for the most part and yep, are very, very that's impressive. True. That's true. And want that space where people keep talking about their phones and keep saying, oh, the Huawei ones are still there and they're still really good with these big cats mm -hmm. um so yeah the big question mark around this really is we don't actually know when you're going to be able to buy one um as we said i'm not sure you're really that many people are going to want to um i think this will mostly be the domain of very very rich people who want one as a curiosity or as a camera yes. and are willing to spend that money for a second device um if that is you and you're listening then congratulations on all your money um but yeah you're gonna have to wait a bit i think basically the line is just in the coming months this one sale and it will be different dates in different european markets and from past experience with huawei there may not always be a lot of fanfare. So you may have to just kind of check your local store yeah. every now and then until one day you see, oh, it's there to buy. Cool, I can do that. Um, because they sometimes just drop these things quite suddenly. But I would expect by the end of the year, this will be available to purchase in Europe and probably the UK. But we don't know for sure. Cool. All right. Let's turn to our final topic of the today, which of the today. 
of today, uh, which is cloud gaming handhelds, a market sector that basically didn't exist last week and now has two major players in it. So Logitech announced the G Cloud, and Razer has just teased, well, technically I think Verizon has teased, yeah. the Razer Edge 5G. So these are both cloud gaming handhelds based on some level on Android, on a software side. Yep. Um, they are self-contained little devices. They look a bit like a Switch without the detachable controllers or a bit like a Steam Deck. They're in that kind of screen with some controls on the sides space. Um, and the pitch for both of these is this will be devices you just use for streaming games, or at least primarily use yeah. for streaming games. So the games don't run on the devices. They run in the cloud, and you just have your smartphone style processor inside them so that they can just display them basically yeah exactly there are however big differences between the two in how they approach this so the logitech g cloud is clearly the cheaper of the two and i don't mean that as a knock it just is kind of the, the approach they've taken is clearly going a bit more for affordability partly because they're really only talking about streaming they are really pushing, you will not play locally, you will stream, yeah. you will use this with, you know, uh, Xbox Cloud Gaming and things like that. And that is the sole way you will play games on this device. And that's three, the three, other four, big... nine, is it? $349? Uh, yeah, I believe that's right. Yeah. And the other big caveat that they've got is you will stream over Wi-Fi. That's the thing that you I will can't not stream. Either over 4G, you will not stream over 5G, you will stream over Wi-Fi. So this is a device you can use wherever you can get Wi-Fi, sufficiently fast Wi-Fi, to stream games, which makes it essentially a handheld console to play at home yep. um, or in the office or something like that. It's not going to work for most people's commutes. It's not going to work on a plane. It's not going to work when you're on holiday. It's a thing you're going to be able to use anywhere around your house where your Wi-Fi signal is good, but that's it. The Razer alternative, we know a bit less about because it's only been teased and the official announcement is coming at RazorCon later in, in mid-October. I think it's October 15th. Um, but we know a bit because it's very clearly based on the Razer dev kit that Qualcomm showed off in December last year at its Snapdragon Summit. And so we know for a fact this will be run on the Snapdragon G3X Gen 1. That is a chip fundamentally based on the Snapdragon 8 Gen 1. It has the same core architecture. There are tweaks to it. At least when they announced it, Qualcomm would really be drawn on whether this was more or less powerful than the 8 Gen 1. But the implication was that it was probably a bit more powerful, at least in certain kind of, or at least optimized for different use cases. So that's the one difference here. It seems to me very, very, very likely they're putting that powerful a chip in it and then saying you're never going to play local games. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. No. Because you don't need that much power to stream. So it seems very plausible to me that this will come with enough storage, also download and install Android games, and have a streaming option. And the other difference is in the name, the Razer Edge 5G. This has 5G. Again, that's why it's using Qualcomm hardware. That's why you've got that partnership. Because the pitch here will be very much, you can take this anywhere. You can play anywhere as long as you can find a good 5G connection, which, again, is not really anywhere. <laughs> but it's a bit more anywhere than finding good Wi-Fi, yeah, exactly. at least. I've, uh, yeah, because we, we discussed it briefly on the show last week, and we talked about it on Slack and stuff like that when, when Logitech announced the G Cloud. And I, the, my main argument was, what's the point? In Because, you know, when you're at home, you have... You, I don't know. For me, anyway, I'm just like I, when I want to do this kind of mobile gaming and stuff like that. I'm usually not at home because if I'm at home, I'll just play it locally, like on my computer yeah. or whatever. The only reason, the only time I want to stream to a handheld is when I'm not at home and I don't have access to my hardware. Um, so yeah, so for, so for Logitech to kind of launch one without 5G just seemed like a massive misstep, in my opinion. And and then uh, now Qualcomm and Razer are here to fix that. <laughs> yeah, I guess the pitch for Logitech is something like. You want to do cloud gaming, but you don't own a console. You maybe don't own kind of a really modern smart TV that's capable of supporting it because not that many of them do. Um, and you don't really like using the touch controls on your phone. So you want something that's a dedicated device that you can use at home to stream cloud games 
when you don't own a, a console or something and it's portable. But I agree, it, it feels like that feels like such a small number of people. And I feel like most of the people that would be really likely to have a cloud gaming subscription probably have something else somewhere in their life that works better for yeah, them. Exactly. Either that's because they have a, a home console that can handle it or they have a smart TV. Or if they want the portability, they've got a phone already. And you know what? If you've got a half-decent phone with a nice display, it's way cheaper oh, to yeah. just buy a strap-on controller or a Bluetooth controller the backbone one. than spend 350 <laughs> on this. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, there's some, yeah, there's I, some I really think, good mobile controllers. Yeah, um, when you were describing it... Um, niche is the word that came to mind uh whereas with like the steam deck which is basically the same price i can imagine yep. a lot more people going yes i'll, I'll buy a steam deck um obviously I, we don't know much about the razor yet so yeah. we can't say a lot about it but yeah it, the logitech one does seem strange i guess one pitch you could say on the logitech is that there is one audience they might be able to snap up which is xbox cloud gaming yes. fans who are paying for that top tier subscription paying for game pass ultimate want the cloud gaming but use an iphone because you can do it on an iphone but it's through your browser it's going to be a bit jankier the quality is not as good and if you're in that space i could see you saying you know what 350 bucks for a dedicated device that just does this and does this well and i can use it in bed when i'm not by my xbox i can see that on the Android side, it makes a bit a bit less sense because you can just get it through the Android app. You've already got your phone, and all you've got to do is spend 50 on a half-decent gamepad, and you're sorted, and you'll get the exact same experience without having to have another device, another thing to charge, another thing to take on holiday. Um, for an iPhone owner, there's a, there's a little more of a use case. But again, it feels it feels like a small space I mean, they're shooting for. Like, like you're saying, like just get a gaming phone. Like there are things like this already that come with dedicated controllers, like high quality controllers and all these other accessories that improve the both yeah. the local gaming experience and they have the same access to the same cloud apps that you're going to have on these handhelds. Uh, and then you don't have to worry about sorting out a different 5G connection. You don't have to worry about charging yeah. separate things. Uh, and then you've only got one thing to carry around with you and then just a little pocket of accessories at the most. I mean, yeah, it, it, and, and that is still the problem with the Razer model to be to be fair, as Jim, Jim said, we don't know a lot about it, but it looks like it is close to the dev kit, which I got to try last year, and I think Lewis also got to try earlier this yeah. year. F looking at the little teaser video they launched, it is not the exact same. You can already see there's some different button placements, some hardware tweaks. So when we get a proper look, we will see some sort of new design. So if you go and look up that dev kit, don't think that's exactly what it's going to look like. But it gives us a hint as to what they're aiming for. Um, and when I played it at the time, I thought, this is really cool. I don't know why you'd buy it when the whole pitch is it does what your phone does with better controls and we have a whole market of aftermarket accessories for phones <laughs> that turn them into game pads. And then at that point, it's like, well, it already does that. Well, this is it, And, yeah. you know, the Razer model, we have no pricing, but given the hardware that's in there, I it can't be below 500. It's probably closer to 1,000 than it is to 500 in price. We'll see get there but especially given it's razor and razor a brand that tend to go premium in yeah. pricing and build and you know I, it's the same problem here they're shooting for a slightly different audience to logitech they've got that 5g benefit that is a clear kind of upsell of this versus the logitech version but at the point where you're going to drop maybe seven eight hundred dollars on this thing i don't know wouldn't you not just say well I've got a decent phone. I can buy a gamepad. What's the thing? That like, phone's got 5G in it. Even, so. you know, even the best mobile controllers, like, because, I, I, you know, we have a chart of them and tech advisor that I look after. And, you know, I've seen some pretty damn good mobile controllers over the years. Like the Backbone One is my current favorite. Mm. It's, it's the top of the chart at the moment. And it's it's £100. Uh, that's cheaper than all of them and it's yep. it's a you know it's a it's a satisfying experience the button placement's really nice the triggers are fine and it yep. has built-in integration with both ios and android now because they're up on pre-order for android as well so the buttons on the controller will actually correspond to different things on the iphone it will launch apps and stuff like yep. that so it's it's the core experience <laughs> but without having yep. to spend six seven hundred quid and, and what I'll say, based on, uh, again, trying the early dev kit, not final hardware, clearly a different piece of hardware. Yeah. So this may have changed. But my impression then was the feel of it was pretty good. Yeah. But it didn't feel better than the good 
mobile gamepads. No. It didn't feel the quality of the control sticks and the buttons, etc. Didn't feel like oh, this is up there with the official Xbox pads and the official you know the Dual Sense for the PS5. Yeah, yeah. It felt like oh, this is like one of those good phone ones. And if they haven't improved on that significantly, then it does feel like they're going to have that problem. Um, I guess you might make the argument that there's a software benefit here. The dev kit was running um, a very streamlined version of Android that really put your games front and center. It gave you kind of Switch slash Steam Deck style UI to navigate. We've seen the same thing on the Logitech G Cloud. So there is something there to the fact that you're freed from a lot of distractions. You've kind of got just your games and that's all you've got to focus on. Um, you kind of have annoying notifications from WhatsApp popping up in the middle of a gaming session and, and that sort of thing. And just getting into a game will be quicker, easier. It's just you boot it up, there's your games right there. Um, the downside of that, of course, is there's a flip side, which is it doesn't do half the stuff your phone does. <laughs> it's not a phone. It's probably going to cost about as much yeah. as your phone does. It's not it feels like you're paying twice for all of that hardware. You've got to pay twice because yeah. you need two devices. What yeah. about battery life, though? So are, are these things going to beat those gaming phones or just phones with the, with the uh, add-on game uh, gamepad thing? Yeah. Is the battery life going to be the reason to buy one because they've packed, I don't know, maybe a 10,000 milliamp hour cell in there or something? I mean, there's yeah, there's the they, they had the opportunity to add bigger battery and stuff, but with five G connectivity, especially on the Razer, I think the gains that you'll get are kind of going to be rinsed out by the connection to five G. Because yeah. realistically, um, you're only going to get a couple, uh, three or four hours out of out of a phone, aren't you? If you're if you're hammering it with a with a demanding game, Logitech at least say twelve plus hours. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what they quote for battery life. Who knows how accurate that is? Of course, all that is is streaming. There's no yeah. meaningful local play. So that's partly that why it's just true, using up it? network, yeah. but it's not using up of serious local processing. Uh, who, who knows about the Razer? We just don't know what they're going to pack into that. Um, I guess you could still make the argument that you're getting a battery benefit either way because you're not using your you're phone. not using your phone's battery, right? Yeah. So if you are, if you've got battery, if you game a lot on your phone, as you said, it will drain a lot of battery. And that might be the reason your phone runs out at 2 p.m. every day. And if you weren't gaming on it, it would take you to the end of the day and you could just charge overnight. So the fact that you might have that battery drain coming from a different device is kind of a convenience in and of itself. Um, I guess the other thing you could say is alongside the controls, these have bigger displays than your phone. Yeah, You don't want a phone as big as these screens are. So it gets you that sort of halfway space where you're getting something a little bigger than a phone screen. And typically not a lot bigger. The Logitech one is a 7-inch panel. And you can get phones at 6.7, 6.8. So it's not a huge gap. But depending on the phone you use, this may be either slightly bigger or comfortably bigger in terms of display. And for gaming, that's a that's a big difference, and that's um, it's also an aspect ratio. Again, on the Logitech one, we'll have to see for the Razer, but the Logitech aspect ratio is much closer to what you expect from your TV or something. So it's better suited to it's in sixteen by nine. So it's it is better suited to playing a lot of console games. Again, that ties into the streaming yeah. side. The sixteen by nine aspect ratio is is an important point because that's my one issue with cloud gaming on like an iPad or something like that. Like I love streaming yeah. to the, my twelve point nine inch iPad, but it's basically square. So I'm le- I'm losing out as a lot of screen real estate on the top and the bottom because it's displaying a sixteen yeah. by nine window on it. And on the flip side, on a phone, you've got this narrow, thin screen when you're in landscape, which is too widescreen yeah. for what you want to do with it. Um, so it is, you know, maybe the optimal aspect ratio for it. I'm not sure that's I'd quite go that far, but you, you might look at it and say it's better suited for that. So, you know, there are benefits here, but a lot of downsides too. As, as Lewis pointed out, you've got to worry about another 5G plan probably for the Razer at least. Yeah, we'll that's a good have point. have to see how that's handled. Yeah, that's but a very good if point. you want that 5G, realistically, that's something you're going to have to get a SIM card for or an eSIM or, you know, and that's probably another cost on, on your monthly account with your yeah. provider and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, if it's anything like the Apple Watch, because obviously you've got eSIM support on the Apple Watch, it's going to be at least an extra five or a month in the UK on your contracts yeah. just to share the data between the two. And if, you know, you're now gaming on 5G, you might need to bump up that data as well. Exactly. You're going <laughs> to... You're going to churn through it. Uh, I guess you've got the edge with uh, the Razer, maybe that it looks like it's likely to involve more local play options yes. and have more power to yes. drive local play. Um, I'm actually not sure if the Logitech will let you do it because, in fairness, I've just got the specs in front of me now and it's got 64 gig of storage and a Snapdragon 720G, which 
isn't super powerful and there isn't a lot of storage, but it is a bit. Yeah, I've read that so you I can run... I would be shocked if it lets you run some and you may want to do a bit it's of basic kind of It's basic Android Google Play games that you'll be able to run. Yeah. I wouldn't expect to kind of get Genshin Impact at 60 FPS or anything like that, but... No, you're not going to get top tier performance on that. Whereas again, the Razer probably will be an excellent mobile gaming yes. experience if that's what you're looking for. Um, yeah, I'm very curious about this. I have to admit, I think I'll, I'll ask you, maybe I'll start with asking you, which of these two do you think has a better shot at success? And I know there's lots of caveats about the Razer because we don't know pricing, but just based on where we kind of think it might end up, the kind of market share they're ending for. Lewis, what do you go first? Uh, I, so I think it's definitely the Razer because for me, cloud gaming and 5G have, like even before 5G was a thing, they were talking about cloud gaming. They were like, cloud gaming and 5G go hand in hand. That's the whole point is that you can access yep. your, your games anywhere in the cloud from 5G. Um, I mean, I like the idea of the Logitech one, but it's that Wi-Fi limitation. Like, I just, I can't yep. get on board with that. Yeah, I don't, uh, I'm probably the worst person to ask because I, <laughs> I don't really game very much at all. But I, I have to agree with Lewis and say that uh, it's probably going to be the Razer, even though we don't know a lot of stuff about it. Um, the, the Logitech one, as we've discussed, just seems like it needs to find an audience. It needs to find the right people to yep. buy it. And uh, while it might be a lot cheaper, uh, um, that's that's what we suspect it will be. Um, I think it's going to be the Razer. I'm I'm inclined to agree. I think where I come from is that we know there is an audience. It's a small one, but it's a rich one. There is an audience <laughs> of gamers willing to spend a lot of money on tech that they don't necessarily need the most um and that maybe just gives a little bit of an edge or a little bit of a more premium feel to the way they're playing and we know those people are out there and i think a lot of those people are going to go buy the razor version of this yeah because it gives them a little something their phone doesn't and they're not they're willing to go through that willing to carry another device um i don't think it will have mainstream success but i think it could really do well in in carving out its niche the one space i'm curious about the g cloud is if logitech can market it in the right way and especially around the software controls to pitch it to kids yeah or at least families yeah i I can see the pitch of this being an affordable ish way of getting a game console to your kids that doesn't require them to take over the tv when they want to play and but they still get to play the xbox game that they really want to play that their friends have or whatever but you can just hand them this thing and they can go sit in their bedroom and play on this affordable-ish, games console-ish thing um, without being limited to the Switch lineup or, or anything like that. So I think that's the space the, the G Cloud could win yeah. if they position it right. Otherwise, I don't fully, fully see it. I'll be interested to see what they're both like in person. So, yeah. <laughs> Look, Absolutely. Can't wait sentiment. to try one of these out. And I'm curious to see who else comes up with stuff because when we first saw that Razer piece of hardware last year, it was very much... The line was, it's a dev kit. This is for other companies to come along and try this out and build their own versions. I think it's kind of interesting that this, the Logitech version we've seen is on very different hardware. It's not on the G3X. And the first G3X hardware we have seen is just Razer and following up with their dev kit. So I'm curious to see who else out there jumped on this prompt from Qualcomm and has started playing around with the tech. Um, it's going to be very different. If enough companies get involved, they can almost make a market through sheer force of yeah. capitalism. Whereas if it's only two players, you worry it might sort of fizzle out a little bit, and we'll see. Uh, that is us for the week, I think. So thank you to everyone who has been watching and listening. We will hopefully be back next week. As I alluded to at the beginning of the show, we don't think we're going to be around at the right time to do a live stream next week, which is bad timing because it's just around the time of Google's big pickle event. But we are hoping to maybe be able to pre-record an episode. So if the stars align, there will be an episode. <laughs> it will go out at the usual time. We just won't be live. But there is a little chance that we just might have to skip next week and come back full force the week after. So until then, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And thank you to Lewis and Jim for joining me. Bye for now. Bye.